Our hearts of stone have been taken away. We've been given a heart of flesh. The Holy Spirit is guiding us, leading us. Uh, We have all the potential and power that the Holy Spirit gives us. But it's less than because we don't have all the rules and regulations that were tied to the law. And so Paul is desperately trying to communicate this because uh, there are only a few people in Paul's life that he can really count on, that he would think would be trustworthy servants to give this away to. And so Paul uh, clearly uh, gives this, these reminders to Timothy in the close of his life. What would Paul remind him of? He would remind him, first of all, excuse me, <laughs> breathe in too, too quick. <clears throat> first of all, he would remind him of his heritage. That is, Paul reminded Timothy, Timothy, remember all the stuff that I poured into you. Remember, the, remember all the truth that God has given you through me. As, as a conduit of truth, remember that, of how we have, uh, have added to the other part of your heritage, which is your, your upbringing in the Scriptures, how, how God has, by His Holy Spirit, used me to bring truth to light, even the truth of the Old Testament Scriptures, how God has used me to bring truth to light, that, that how Jesus was the completion of those of what God was doing in the Old Testament, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law, that Jesus uh, was the sacrificial lamb uh, that, that Isaiah talked about, uh, whose blood would wash away our sins, that, that Jesus was also our righteousness that's been required throughout the, old, the whole Old Testament that Moses spoke of over and over again, and that the, the Jewish people were so good at focusing on. Not walking in, but focusing on all these laws and rules and regulations uh, that were given to them by God through Moses. And so Jesus was the fulfillment of that. A perfect obedience is what was required, and Jesus gave us that. And so he wanted wanted Timothy to remember his heritage. Remember your heritage. Remember what your grandmother Lois and your mother, uh, your grandmother Eunice and your mother Lois gave to you. And remember what I've taught you and what I poured into your life, remember all that stuff and, and stay true to it exactly the way that you received it because this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. In addition to that, last week we talked about the fact that Paul wanted Timothy to remember what his motivation would be to continue to walk in uh, this obedience to God and, and be a minister of the gospel to preach this message to people in the face of opposition. What would cause Peter to, uh, or Paul to continue to walk in the truth even though he was facing severe opposition and even the threat of, at this point, death, the reality of, in his mind, impending death? What would keep Paul's what would stay keep Paul on track? Paul says it's one thing, and Timothy, I want to remind you of this. That in the face of opposition that you're about to face, don't give up, be ready to suffer. And the what's going to motivate you is this the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to be the truth of what Jesus did for us, that he he reconciled us to, to God, that he became our righteousness for us. Everybody gets that, right? I mean, I hope this is clear for us, that we get the imputed righteousness of God. That's, that's, that word means that God has given us Jesus' righteousness. It's a gift. He doesn't give us our righteousness. He gives us Jesus' righteousness. 
So we stand right before God. The righteous requirements of the law have been fully met in us who have received Christ in our lives, who have received the free gift of Jesus. So he gave us that gift. And because we have that gift, we have this security. Man, this, this uh, it really should be this, this attitude of walking in the truth and knowing that we are so solid in what, uh, in what God has done for us and what he has in, in provided for us that we can't be thrown off uh, by those people who are trying to teach false doctrine, who are trying to add to, particularly for us in this culture, add to the simplicity of the gospel a list of rules and regulations, our list of doctrines to believe, our list of, of, of uh, experiences to have in addition to the gospel. Everybody with me say, oh, yeah. All right, so, so Paul wants him to know clearly, here's what, here's what will keep you secure in the face of all these people saying, no, it's more than just what you got. You got to have all these things too, whatever your things are that people have been putting pressure on you to get. All right, you got to have this stuff too. Paul says in the face of that, hold on to the gospel. Preach it to yourself over and over again. Remind yourself that it's not you, it's not you, it's not you because everybody outside is going to say, it is you, it is you, it is you. Keep preaching to yourself over and over again that God has already done in Christ everything that needs to be done to satisfy his requirements for salvation, for the Holy Spirit to live in you, uh, for you to have the power of God moving and working in your life. Get that settled in your mind. Settle it. Say it over and over again. Read books. Uh, uh, Some of you have been reading books on grace. I encourage that. Read them because uh, most of us are coming from a Southern Baptist background and we're you know, we, we grew up with the truth being preached, and we understood it here, which we'll talk about today. But we didn't ever get it in our hearts that God did this for us in a way that would motivate us to not require ourselves and others to, to, to work all the time in order to be made right with God. There's this subtle practice that we had, many of us had, and some still have, the subtle practice that we have that, that, that says that, we're uncomfortable. We're not content with what Christ has done for us, and we have to do something else to make God happy. And, and consequently, we put that on other people. We judge others based on how, how many of the things that we believe in are they following, how many of the rules are they following that we have. And we need to be done with that because, ultimately, that will affect the way we handle persecution. It's going to affect the way we handle someone coming in and challenging us and saying, well, I believe this way, and you need to believe this way. You know, our flesh, if we're not secure in the gospel, our flesh is going to say, no, I don't have to believe that way. And we get angry, and, we get, and there's no self-control, and we lash out, and we call them names, and, you know, we talk about them behind their backs. That's what we do. And honestly, church, we, we as, as the gathering place, West, have had a, a bad habit of talking about other people behind their backs. Oh, but we're, you know, we're just talking about how we hope they'll come to Jesus. I can tell you for me personally, I have a bad habit that I got to break. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to by focusing on what God did for me. Because when people offend me or people have talked about me in the past, I have been hurt by that in such a way it makes me lash out to them. Do y'all do that? It it makes me want to lash out when somebody says, oh, you're not a a good pastor because you don't do these things. Man, that's that's been hard for me to swallow. And my, my... uh, response to that has been not usually to their face, usually behind their backs, saying how 
stupid they are and how right I am. But if I will hold on to the gospel and just, just live in it, dwell in it, and realize how sufficient that is, that nothing can break that off of me, that nothing can take that away from me, that whether I believe right or wrong in these little details of theology or doctrine or practice, that I am still secure in the gospel, then I don't have to lash out. And so Paul says, this is what will happen, Timothy. He says, you won't have any longer a spirit of fear, but you'll have a spirit of a sound mind or self-control. You'll have a spirit of love towards your brothers. That's, that's what that produces, holding on to the gospel. So if you find yourself still do it like, like if you're like in the same boat as the pastor and you find yourself con- constantly wanting to lash out, then, then that's a good sign for you. It's a good sign. You know what to work on. You know where to go. It's to ask, to remind yourself of the gospel over and over again. Read every book you can on the grace of God and on salvation and what God's done for you. And I got a whole list of them if you want to get started. A whole list of good books to read to get us to, on that page. So today we pick up in, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. And Paul is going to continue to remind Timothy and us of some things that we need to do. Uh, so let's, let's pick up there and we'll see what he's going to talk to us about today. Paul says this in, in, uh, in this chapter 2. He says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. All right, so the very first verse here. He says, you then... My child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All right? It's just a summary of what I just said last week. It's a summary of what, what Paul said. When he says, you then, he's saying then points us back to what we said last week. And what we said last week was, uh, you know, that Paul encouraged Timothy to remember the gospel message that he, as he faced opposition. So he says again, you then, in a summary statement, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. All right, I repeat, church, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Study grace. And for, for those of us who grew up understanding the grace of God for salvation, just know that there's more than just the grace of God for salvation. There's the grace of God that, that gives us the righteousness of Christ. It's that God has given us what we don't deserve. He, he's, and he hasn't given us what we do deserve, Right? He gave us mercy, which means we didn't get what we deserved. We deserved death and separation from God. Uh, even, even, even though we were saved, we are still, Paul says after he's saved that he's the chief of sinners. This is after he's already a believer. All right? We know that. We recognize that. So we still need more than just the salvation of Christ for our sins, the forgiveness of sins. We need the righteousness of Christ to be right before God. And it's a gift given to you. Read grace study grace understand the grace of god after salvation so he says 
that an internalizing of the gospel would provide power, love, and self-control. As the false teachers were attacking Timothy in his simple message of salvation through Christ. And so in, in view of that, he says, be strengthened by that. And, and not only remember your heritage and find your motivation in the gospel, but he says, also, I've passed this ministry on to you. And now you pass it on to others. Look at verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So as Paul sits in prison, awaiting his death, the Holy Spirit brings to his mind the necessity of giving away the ministry, not only of disciple-making, but of disciple-maker-making. Think about that one. Which would happen for me? If I were in prison, if those of you who have discipled people and you really poured into people's lives and, and you're trying to get them to understand the truth in a way that's practical and applicable to daily living, and you pour into them, and you pour into them, and you're discipling them, and you're sitting in the, and realizing that my life's about to end. And maybe, maybe for Paul, probably for Paul, this is happening quicker than I thought it would. Right? I'm about to go, and I've got to... He's evaluating his life and the people that he's poured into, and, and he wants to say something different to, to Timothy. Not only do you need to be a disciple, but you need to be a disciple maker, and you need to make disciple makers. All right, so let's look at that. In Paul's day, disciple making was common uh, in the first century church and prior to, the, to uh, Christ. Uh, this was a part of Jewish tradition, a Jewish heritage, at least the idea of entrusting to, to men uh, what, what you learned and what you knew, entrusting those things to faithful men. That was a common practice uh, in the practice of the rabbis and, and those students of the rabbis. In, in, in the Old Testament way, in the Jewish tradition, in a way of operation, uh, scripture had authority over everyone's lives, and it was recognized that the law had authority over everybody. And a righteous person was defined by their behavior, not the condition of their heart. In, in the Jewish tradition, how good you acted is what mattered. It, wasn't, it didn't matter where it came from. But rabbis were given the authority to interpret Scripture and to tell what type of behavior would or would not please God. So they would take the Scripture, and depending on the rabbi that you studied under, they would take that Scripture and tell you what it meant for everyday life. If a rabbi took, a, took on a disciple, that disciple usually agreed to totally submit to the authority in all areas of interpreting Scripture for his life. So it would be like you coming to me and saying, Glenn, whatever you say in regard to the Scripture... I'm going to apply that to my life. That's what they would do. That was the, the, the tradition. That was their practice. So what you had in the first century understanding of discipleship was a disciple coming into a relationship with a rabbi with a desire and a willingness to surrender to the authority of God's word as interpreted by that rabbi in his view of Scripture. And then there were these groups called yeshivas, 
There were groups of disciples who had intense discussions over different um, aspects of life and Scripture and, uh, and what Scripture said about it. And that was also part of the rabbinic teaching methodology. They would allow the rabbi or the students to get together, all these disciples to get together and discuss what the, what the rabbi said in his interpretation of Scripture. So how God wanted them to apply the Scripture was the main priority of a disciple and also of this yeshiva experience. Now, since all disciples were required at that time to memorize all of the Scripture, or if, if not all, most of the Hebrew Scriptures in preparation for their bar mitzvahs, which happened at 13 years old, they already had this understanding. The issue was not what God's Word said, but it was how it should be interpreted. You had a young 13-year-old who, who desired to study under a rabbi, he better already have memorized all of the Hebrew scriptures in most, in most at least large cities. He better have already memorized all of the Hebrew scriptures by age 13. And then what the rabbi is going to do is he's going to take that scripture and he's going to help that, that pupil, that disciple to unfold what that scripture means and how to apply it to daily life. So it wasn't a curriculum to be studied, but a continual daily relational living where the rabbi would observe the life and initiate discussion with every disciple. So that's the picture that Paul has in mind as he's speaking to, to Timothy. They, had, they already had this tradition and this heritage, this rich heritage, great, great pattern and methodology of, of making disciples, of taking the whole of Scripture and, and, and applying that scripture into each person's, uh, each person's life as they did life together. And so when Paul's saying to Timothy, Timothy, I want you to take what you've heard and I want you to, to give it away to faithful men. The first thing that he's saying in that context is I want them to understand how to apply scripture to their daily lives, the way that I have helped you to understand it. Okay? Now, let's stop there first before we move on to the next point. I, I sat with eight people this morning prior to our, to our, uh, our day, and we prayed together and read Scripture together uh, in, in preparation for our for worship team and, and, uh, and, and just this what we do every, every Sunday morning. We sat there and talked. And as we talked, I thought about that, this aspect. I thought about, uh, well, I asked him the question, have you been a faithful steward of the truth that God has revealed to you? Both the truth that's found in the, in the word of God, that God has revealed to you personally and will continue to re- reveal to you, but also what you've learned about what God has for this community th- through this community for this community, through this community? Have you been faithful, a faithful steward of that? Uh, Man, I I long for the day when I know that there will be churches all around this community, gathering place churches. They don't care how big they are. don't care what they look like. They can be in houses and in uh, office buildings, whatever, wherever. 
but the day when, when I can know that, there, that you guys who are here, part of this initial work of the Gathering Place West, you're part of this beginning, that, that I can know that those, that I have trustworthy, faithful people that, that, are, that are following what God has called us to do in this community and are not being dis- distracted and taken away by others who are saying, no, you have to add more to it, have to add more to it, just the simplicity of the gospel. Can't we just do that? Can't we get to the point where it's just about knowing Christ and abiding in him and letting life be revealed to people, letting what that life looks like being revealed to, to us as we live it and to others as we walk it out? Paul had that. He had that desire for all of his churches. He wanted them to know the Scripture, yes. The truth is where, where it all is. It begins there, but ultimately, there is a calling for a leader or a group of, of leaders, for, in our case, uh, who are on the same page, who God has called together to give direction to a very specific kind of, of interpretation of some of the Scripture. And, and uh, there's no doubt, for those of you who have been with us, these, these interpretations are not uncommon. They're just not as accepted in a lot of areas of this community as they might should be. Paul said it this way in the church of Thessalonica. So here's another church, different community. They had a very specific thing that Paul's dealing with in this church. Look what he says in chapter 3 of Second Thessalonians, verses 6 through 13. He says, now we command you, brothers, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness and not in accord with the tradition that you have received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone else's, anyone's bread without paying for it, but with toil and labor we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we do not have the right, that right, but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate. For even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly, and earn their living. As for you, brothers, do not grow weary in doing good. Here's, here's an issue that was going on in that church. The gospel was enough. But there were people apparently in Thessalonica that were, that were religious people who were not doing anything to support themselves and expecting to receive from the people financial support. And so in this particular case, Paul is saying, God has given me a word for this city and this church. Y'all with me? It's a very specific word for this church. Here's the word. Work, support yourself, and, and live out your faith and speak about it in a mild manner. You do your ministry and you support yourself. Now, do I have the right as a pastor in this culture to, to receive a salary? Do I? Yes, I do. It's expected in this culture. But there are cultures like Uganda and our missionaries who were in Uganda um, who learned through the grapevine, not through our missionaries, 
that when, when some of the, the natives of Uganda were saved, they thought, well, I want to be one of these leaders because I can make some money. I can earn a living by, by being a pastor, so I want to be a pastor. And it got all out of whack. And so our missionaries didn't give anybody who was leading anything. Their disciples didn't get any extra money. They didn't get any resources that anybody else in the community uh, didn't also get because it was an issue for them. It was very similar to this issue in Thessalonica. Now, here's the point. The point is that Paul had a very specific word that he gave to Timothy, a way to minister. He already wrote it in a letter in chapter 1 of how he should stand firm uh, in, in the truth in the face of false teachers, that you need to stand and you need to oppose them and you need to tell the people not to listen to what they say. Now, there were religious leaders that were saying, Paul, you are stepping outside of the boundaries. You're telling people not to listen to God's servants. That was definitely an interpretation of what Paul was doing. Like they also accused Jesus of doing that. But Paul was saying, Timothy, you tell them that these people are not God's servants. They are teaching false doctrine. Can you imagine how hard that was and why he faced opposition? And so Paul is saying, look, I've lived my life that way, Timothy, so have you. And now here's what I want you to do. I want you to make sure that you continue to press in to this gospel alone message. So he's speaking about, Paul's not only speaking about the gospel, but also about the tradition that he received from him for that particular town and that particular area. And it was the example that he saw in Paul and Paul and the way that Paul lived his life. Paul, the way that Paul lived out the gospel in front of them. Now, what does that mean? Here's what I think is an issue for us. When we think about discipleship, somehow along the way we have separated the idea of our thoughts and ideas and theology and doctrine and our practice in our walk with God. We, we've separated those two. And I'm not just talking about a to-do list. I'm talking about actually walking in the Spirit obeying the word of God and letting the spirit speak to us about how we should do how we should operate our lives abiding in Christ we have separated the idea of knowledge from the idea of action and that is so foreign to the concept that Paul's talking about here it has really nothing to do with it you have the foundational knowledge as just a base and they had that by age 13 now it's how do i live my life and we get to be disciples of Christ who he himself speaks to us and gives us guidance and tells us how to live our lives and how to apply the scripture. And don't get stuck depending on me or somebody else to give you all the details of how to walk out your life. But somehow we've separated those two. What would it be like for you if, if a doctor went to medical school and never had to, do his, never had to practice? Any of you going to go to his office and sign up? You might sign your kids up, but you're not going to sign yourself up, right? No, you don't want to go to a doctor who's never practiced. If all he's ever done is think about it, you've know, you got a, a, a guy who's, who is uh, academically trained to do brain surgery. He's not cutting on me. He's not cutting my head open unless he's done a lot of it, right? Even when we go to a doctor, who do we go to? If, if I'm going to have a major surgery, like I had, I had a, a lobectomy in, in 1986, we went to the best person in the United States because he was in Houston, close enough for us to drive, although we probably would have gone anywhere. 
I'm not going to have somebody cut my chest open, spread my ribs, pull out two lobes, and put me back together who doesn't know, who's never done it before. I want the guy that does this every day. He walks in and says, okay, this is like clockwork for me, right? It makes sense to us. We don't want a lawyer that has never practiced before to defend us. If, a, if you're on death row and you step up and say, I know this guy, Vinny, has never done this before, but he's my representation. Because you, you know what's going to happen. You're going to go on to the lecture chair, right? I'm not going to let somebody let a lawyer that's never practiced represent me. But we've gotten this idea in our heads that if people have head knowledge, that that's enough. It's not enough for a disciple. We could go to the, we can go to politics today for sure. Although you've probably heard enough of that. But man, we have learned to just accept the fact that politicians say one thing and do another. And and the, the what we're doing and we're trying to decide on who we're going to vote for is which one may be telling the most truth, right? Because we know nobody's going to do what they say. And that's, that has made its way into the church. The church as a whole in this culture, y'all still with me? Because this is it, man, we need this application. The church as a whole in this area, in the Bible Belt, really, all of us have grown up in this, have somehow separated what the truth is, a life that's led by the Holy Spirit, that's, that's grounded in the redemption of Jesus Christ, that, that counts on the, this, this, the uh, grace of God because of, of Christ's righteousness being given up on our behalf and lives a life in response to that. We've traded that for a list of rules to follow, doctrines to believe, uh, theology, practice, uh, practices to do, uh, experiences to have. And it's not about a relationship with Jesus anymore. Even when I say, if I were to say today, you know, we have traded relationship for religion, I would get a hearty amen from you guys. But do you really, do you get that? A relationship is active. It's you moving with God. It's God leading you because he's Lord. It's you following because you're the disciple. And he's the discipler. Paul wanted us to understand that. So he wanted us to be able to, to not only know it in our heads, but be able to give it away. All right, now Paul, Timothy had that, and Paul knew it. Timothy had been practicing it. Timothy knew, knew Paul's teachings and, and what God spoke through Paul. He understood and had a foundation in the gospel and a heritage in that in his family. He had the truth, and he had Paul's way of, of doing ministry. He had it down. And Paul said, Timothy, it's great. You go do that. But then he also said this. He said, also entrust that to others who will in turn be able to give it away to others. That's a whole nother level. That's a whole nother level. Here's the big question for us today. This is going to be challenging for everybody. At times... Let me say, first of all, in a positive way, because before the challenge, man, what a blessing to be able to look out across this group and and know that in our congregation, as I pray for you guys, uh, that I know that that we have people in our church that understand what I'm saying and they embrace it and they speak the language and they, they know how to give that away to somebody else. And and they're doing that and it's changing people. Lives are being transformed because of it. It's a new message, not new 
because God just gave it, new because we're just understanding it. And you get that, and praise God for that. But let me say this. I have a fear also that I need to get over. But I have, I have my doubts as to whether many of you have even applied it to your life yet. The truth of, of the grace of God, being motivated by the grace of God to walk in him, to abide in him. I wonder if you got that. And I wonder if, you, if, if you're, you're not ready to give it away. And so we're used to giving things away that we understand intellectually. And, and I, I just want to ask you guys to, to embrace the truths that God's been teaching us. Walk in them. That's the only way you're going to get to know them. You know what's the difference between a doctor who's studied and understands academically and one that's practiced? His academics have now made their way through his hand, and he has real understanding of how to do surgery. He, he didn't understand it completely before because there's a different kind of understanding that happens uh, but when, you're, when your head uh, guides your hands and your life to actually lift something out. It's a whole different thing. Have you ever been encouraged by someone to teach something that you've learned? And, when you, and now that you have to teach it, that's one application of what you've learned. And when you try to teach it to somebody else, all of a sudden it starts making sense to you. Some of you have been doing that with a biting cycle. You've been teaching it to somebody else, and all of a sudden it's making sense to you. Some of the things that you didn't see when you were being taught are now making sense because you're teaching it. But that's still very much academic. Here's where it becomes personal. Do you have a story from the last three or four weeks of how you've been abiding in Christ and he's been guiding you to do something, and you've seen him do something in your life that only he could do, and you've come to know him through that? Is he changing your attitude and understanding of his character because you're walking with him and you're, and you're abiding in him, which is obeying his commands simply and seeing who he is through that process. You know, we have to get that. But then on the other side of that, we need to be making disciples. My goal is not to make disciples, it's to make disciple makers. My goal is to be used by God to teach you guys how to walk with God, that's a disciple, in such a way that, that you become one who teaches people to walk with God. Do you know what would happen in this community if just the people in the church today, what, 50 people, 60 maybe, if just you guys we're determined. I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to do what I have to do. I'm going to, I'm going to pay the price, whatever it takes, to walk with God, to abide in him. That if you did that and you came to know God in, in, the, in these personal ways and, and, it, and God grabbed your heart and you fell in love with him in a deep, deeper and deeper way and you gave that away to one other person in a year, we'd be 120. He just spent a whole year with one person. Helping them to understand. There'd be 120 people that understand this truth. It's very deep. This, this awesome truth that's changing and transforming our lives. And then if the 120 of it did, did, a, did a, repeated that for one more year, you do the math. It doesn't take any time to reach Alexandria. I, I guarantee you in less than 10 years, we've, we've reached this whole Rapids Parish. One person at a time for a whole year. But you'll never get there if you don't even understand yourself how to walk with God. Paul has this confidence in Timothy. He's, he knows he's a faithful steward. God, uh, Paul knows 
and the close of his life, that this ministry that he's giving away will continue. I have that confidence as well, that the ministry that God's given me and us as a church, it will continue. I'm confident of that. I want to be able to say of everyone in this church with the same confidence that Paul was able to say that you're going to be that person that you're a trustworthy servant, that you're going to walk in this and nothing's going to break you away from it because Satan is trying desperately and he will use every other kind of thought and idea and spiritual religious idea to draw you away from the simplicity of the gospel. You're going to face that. And if you walk in it, you will suffer to some degree. Paul goes on, I won't, I'm going to finish here, but Paul goes on to talk about There's suffering coming, but you stay the course. There's a reward that happens at the end. In the same way that that there's a reward for a a runner who runs by the rules, he gets the reward. There's a rule. There's a pattern set. You run by it. Just run in the pattern that God's given you and watch and see what the reward is. The, The farmer that works diligently, does his work, there's a harvest that comes, but do the work. You got to do the work before the harvest comes. He's making it clear to, to Timothy that, that he needs to give this away to faithful men and faithful women who in turn give it away to others. So the question, I guess, for all of us is this. Are we faithful stewards of the truth? Are you a faithful servant? Are you a faithful servant of what God has spoken for this body? Are you, are you living, living it out personally? And then are you, are you yet giving it away to somebody else? It is him. I mean, you, you, we don't let semantics stop you from hearing what I'm saying. Are you, can you give him away in the way that you've received him? Can you give away what you've gained in a relationship with Christ to somebody else? And if not, man, let's ask the Lord today. To, to give that to us. Paul, at the close of his life, is saying to Timothy, this is important enough that I want to tell you, it's not only the gospel, it is the gospel, which that motivates you and holds you, and that's what you're giving away to everybody else, but it's also the specific word that I gave you for that church at Ephesus. It's the tradition that we set in place, and you've seen me live it, now you do it too. You walk in this same way in that town and be faithful to it. You're going to face persecution, but be a good steward. Suffer the right way. Share in the suffering as a good soldier of Christ. Walk in it. All right, let's bow. I really believe that God has us on the edge of a great spiritual move where people will fall in love with Jesus and be freed up from the bondage of legalism, bondage of um, sensationalism, bondage of indoctrination, I really believe that we're right on the edge of a revival. I believe God's doing this all over the nation. I know he is.
There are moves all over the nation in places where people are open to moving outside of their, their previous ways of thinking. Never moving outside of Scripture, never moving out, outside of conservative uh, interpretations of Scripture, just moving outside of patterns that have been set by men and women who didn't really walk with God. And I wonder if God wants to do that here and use us to do that. Would you ask him today? Ask him to make you a faithful steward of the truth that God has revealed to you. The gospel and what you've learned that God wants and has for this community. Jesus, you are our rabbi. You have defined for us what scripture means. You've defined for us how you would have us walk with you. And we are not righteous because of our behavior, but because of the condition of our hearts. And you have done the changing and the transforming. Lord, you have all authority to interpret Scripture and tell us what type of behavior would please you. And Father, my prayer today is that we would agree and totally submit to your authority in all areas. Lord, we understand that that when we surrendered our lives to you, that we have surrendered ourselves and agreed, Lord, that you would, you would be in control. Lord, this is not a curriculum to be studied, but a continual daily relational living where Jesus Christ, our rabbi, observes our lives and initiates discussion for us and ultimately guides us to decisions that are, that are truth about what life should be under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So we submit to you today. We know what you have for this community. Father, we submit to that. We want to be a part of that. I pray for every person, every man, woman, in this room, that God, you would move in such a way in our hearts that we would submit ourselves to not only be disciples, but to be disciplers. God, that you would... Help those of us who don't yet grasp what it is that you're doing to get it. And for those of us who do, God, bring people into our lives that we can can be faithful stewards of the things that you've given us and give it away. Help us to be disciplers of disciplers in the way that you have set for us. Lord, we are totally dependent upon you for that. We have no wisdom of our own, our knowledge. We have already done that, and it was not good. And we want you, God. We want you to have your pure, unhindered way in the gathering place west. It's 
My prayer is that every person today would have a moment of surrender to you.